What it comes down to is the gospel can't be bound to a country. If you look at the earliest Christians, the entire Roman Empire was out to get them and yet still the gospel advanced. If you believe you must have the United States to share the gospel, you are actually sharing a false gospel. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. 2021 has arrived, and we have seen a wave of political upheaval in the United States. People are grieving the turmoil in our nation. We are living in historic and difficult times. How do we as believers follow Christ in days like these? I invited Eric Erickson to Candid Conversations to discuss the state of our nation and the primary focus Christians should have during these times. Eric is a conservative evangelical author who runs a blog called The Resurgent. He also hosts a radio program, Evening News with Eric Erickson on Atlanta's WSB 750 AM. Eric previously served as the editor-in-chief and the CEO of the conservative political blog, Red State. While working at Red State, Erickson developed a reputation as one of the most influential American conservatives. Eric has also served as a political contributor for CNN and Fox News. He practiced law for six years and oversaw a number of political campaigns at the federal, state, and local levels. He was also an elected city councilman in Macon, Georgia. He's a busy man, and we are grateful he took the time to speak with us. Now on to our candid conversation. Eric Erickson, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on Candid Conversations. Thank you for joining me. Thanks very much for having me. My opening question to you is, what do you see as causing these fractures and these factions within the United States? Is it sort of social media or is it politicians or media or or all of it? I think it's a a multifaceted and complex issue. It it starts with people uh, getting inside bubbles where they don't really know people anymore who disagree with them. Uh, That was actually a very documented phenomenon on the left for a while where in city complexes and the like, they could uh, have a hard time coming into contact with someone on the right they disagree with and still be friends with them. And increasingly now on the right, we see the same thing where people on the right are insulated in their church and their peer groups where they don't know anyone who thinks them. And you have a further expanded situation now where we create our own communities on social media where the people we befriend are people who think just like us by and large. And so we have, we've got a feedback loop. Everybody does where yeah. we talk to people anymore who disagree with us or think differently from us. Uh, we know better the person on Facebook than we do our next door neighbor. Who <laughs> may actually it, it becomes uh, this feedback loop. And then it's enforced because we go off to media sources that we both like those mm. media sources in part on the right exist because they were no longer welcome in mainstream sources. And so you and I may know that, uh, a, a news network doesn't reflect our worldview. We want to go find a network that at least doesn't bec- uh, treat us demeaningly. So we go off and then those add into the feedback loop. So it's very multifaceted, but essentially it boils down to we're now more likely to know our Internet friend than our next door neighbor and our local community. I, I tell people all the time, Scripture says, seek the welfare of the community in which you're in exile. You'll find your welfare. 
And we all feel like we're part of Washington, D.C., so we're all looking to the welfare of Washington as opposed yeah. I'm in Macon, Georgia. I should be looking here. Mm, that's true. You know, the issues are often blamed on one side by the other on the political spectrum. I wonder, you know, is that more and more becoming true with divergent worldviews? So, for instance, if if this is my worldview and I hold it close, everyone that doesn't hold my worldview is an enemy of mine. That increasingly becomes the rhetoric, and I do think it's fair to say that started on the left as they first became more insular during the Bush administration, and it has expanded to the right where I now get attacked, for example, for being friends with people on on TV or in politics who don't share my politics, and, and I increasingly now, used to not happen, but it is an increasing phenomenon now where I get told by people I must not really be a conservative because I'm friends with someone who's not. It, that used to not happen. You know, I get attacked now for having been on CNN for three years. I was last on CNN in 2013, uh, and it was actually Rush Limbaugh, a friend of mine, who told me I should go to CNN as a conservative because they needed to hear the conservative viewpoint. And now it's considered bad that I went there uh, right. because you must be a liberal to have gone to CNN. Where do you think the core of that issue comes from? The core of the the this isolation is it sort of uh, us chasing our own happiness or just wanting to agree, like have people agree with us? I think so. More and more, people just want their view of the world affirmed. I, for example, dealing with the issue last week in the Capitol, right, pointed out on my radio shows pretty consistently that they've arrested at this point more than 50 people. You can trace most of those people, overwhelming majority of those people to social media. You can see their longtime support of the president. And right. I mail on a daily basis from people say, no, no, it was really Antifa. And right. Conservative media sources said it was Antifa. It must be so. Pay no attention to what your eyes saw and pay no attention to what the evidence shows. Pay no attention yeah. to people's social media feed going back five, six years where they were clearly supporters of the president. It's got to be Antifa because that makes me sleep well at night. Right. And that brings up a good point. And that's where these – for lack of a better word, these conspiracies have really crept up into the narrative. And I guess my question to you, having dealt with a lot of this, is is like groups like QAnon and, you know, the left has similar ones. But this whole narrative of fake news, what do we do with this? How do Christians ask good questions and sort of test to see where the truth is? That's becoming increasingly hard <laughs> yeah. because people don't have the bandwidth to sort out the different news stories. Like, I mean, it's, it's my job. I do five hours of radio a day and I spend my time reading across the board, left, right, center sources. When I find a news story, I inevitably now have to find multiple different outlets reporting the same story just to begin to try to figure out what's true. And I don't know that I actually have it. it well, part of the problem is that the news media has become more interested in telling a narrative of events than just actually reporting. They want to yeah. tell a story because stories grab people's attention and they leave out extraneous details that might put it in a different light. And both sides do it and no one wants to be confronted with other facts. I, I in my radio shows now, spend most of my time delving into here's what actually happened factually 
Here's the analysis of it. Now I'll tell you what I think about it as opposed to just going straight to what I think about it because so many people don't actually have an understanding of the facts of stories anymore. Well, and as Christians, we are seekers of the truth. I mean, even this podcast is sort of delving into issues that are challenging and difficult, but we're looking for the truth. But it seems that people don't really, and this includes Christians, people don't seem to care about the truth anymore. It's it's just what, like you said, it what helps me sleep at night, what helps me feel good about myself. Yes. And I tell my radio audience all the time, because I am a Christian and I believe Jesus Christ is the way and the truth, that I've got an obligation to the truth, that yeah. truth has an objective standard. The truth is not what I want to believe and what I want to be true. There's actually got to be, if Jesus is real and he's the truth, then there's got to be a real truth out there in story. Right. And I have an obligation to find it. And what I'm finding more and more is, is I will tell people, for example, with the election, that there were problems, but there wasn't this wholesale fraud of dead people and underage people and multiple people voting multiple times. That it, it just wasn't so. And yet people have chosen to believe the lie. And actually on, on recently on my radio show, I used the example of the Northern Kingdom of Israel where when they split and only I would do this on a nationally. <laughs> right. You, you know, Jeroboam had a problem. If people went back to the temple in Jerusalem and to worship, yes. they realized there was a problem here. And so he constructed golden calves and essentially said, no, no, that Moses guy was peddling a conspiracy and Aaron and the golden calves were true. And here are the gods who rescued you out of the land of Egypt. These golden calves, that's the true Jewish religion. And it was a conspiracy done to keep people from going back to Jerusalem. And over time, the people believed the lie and yeah. see it happening right now. A biblical era conspiracy. I think we need to be reminded of those uh, more often these days. So, you know, you've got this uh, radio audience. You know, on the individual level, what do we say to people? In particular, what do we say to fellow believers who are are caught up in this sort of thinking? And I guess the first question is really, is there a fruitful way to have real conversation? It's funny you should ask me this because literally yesterday a pastor called me venting his frustration at people in his church who he never would have guessed believing some of the conspiracy theories that are circulating right now. And he's just exasperated that it's happening in his church, well-educated people. And I honestly don't know that I know the answer to it because I get people who are mad at me and believe I've sold my soul to corporate media or something when I point out to them that what they believe really isn't true and try to do it in a loving way and try to show them the facts. And ultimately, I'm, I'm beginning to believe with a lot of people, the facts really don't matter to them anymore. It's the emotional response that matters. And if I give them the truth of a situation and it disrupts their emotional state, I'm the bad guy, even though what I've told them is completely true. What a bright future we have here. <laughs> I'm, just thinking, I'm disturbed by it. <laughs> it's very disturbing. But at the same time, I mean, you've already given the Old Testament illustration. It's not new. Right. Um, it's different, but it's the same thing that's been repeated over and over. I guess my next question is sort of thinking about maybe a young person who's engaged in the political process to some extent, and they want to be more involved with it. Can a Christian engage in that political process without selling their soul? I think it's possible. Uh, listen, there. Compromise in politics always happens. The question is, are you compromising your principles or are you compromising your policy? And as long as you know the difference between the two, it's possible to engage without losing your soul. 
uh, it is what I'm finding increasingly. I mean, let me just talk frankly about my audience. Uh, yeah. Particularly, I do evening radio in Atlanta. Uh, it, it's drive time. And I used to have an older audience and the demographic shift in my audience has been from the fifties into the late thirties as, as average age, as my audience has become younger, it's, it's the older people who are very angry with me for disputing what they believe to be true. And the younger people actually appreciate me trying to tell them what actually is happening, which gives me hope actually to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at, at the same time, I think when you go into politics, you need to go into politics not for power, not for prestige, and not for a person. You go into politics for a principle that you believe is good, and you're willing to work with anyone who will come your way on that principle. And if you do that, you won't sell out your soul. I've seen too many people go into politics. They get addicted to the trappings of it, yeah. and they join a cult of personality uh, because yeah. it advances them on a highway where ultimately they hit a brick wall. But the people I know who are committed to a policy are the people I know who are happy in politics. Hmm. You know, it's funny you bring up the uh, sort of generational age discrepancy within your own listenership audience. And it's something that you wrote about uh, just the other day that sort of made me want to kind of ask around this question. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it fits within this generational narrative that's taking place, which is, you know, lots of people think that we need to save the country in order to share the gospel. How does that mentality contribute to what we're seeing today? You get a level of nihilism in politics, even from Christians, that if we can't get our way, we might as well blow it all up because we're all right. over anyway. The country's done unless we get our way, which isn't right. true. We'll do this all over again in four years, even right. though there are people right now who fundamentally believe we won't because uh, we'll have this communist dictatorship all of a sudden, very much like people on the left have believed we had a, a, a right-wing dictatorship with Donald right. Trump. We're all going to do this again in four years, trust me. But um, what it comes down to is the gospel can't be bound to a country. If you look at the yes. earliest Christians, the entire Roman Empire was out to get them, right. and yet still the gospel advanced. If you believe you must have the United States to share the gospel, uh, you are actually sharing a false gospel. Yeah, and I think you've sort of flipped, and the the inverse is true as as well. The the opposite, which is you know we have to share the gospel to save the country, right. which could be a bit of a, a misnomer in some sense. That's yeah, that's it, not really what we're looking for. The Great Commission is to preach and teach and, and disciple and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to grow the kingdom, not to grow the country. Yeah. And if you're trying to share the gospel to save the country, I've read the end of the book. You're not saving yeah. this country. Yeah. Everything fades away. The, the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God is forever. No country is forever. And the job of a Christian has to be to save souls. Now, you can do that in politics. You can be a Christian in politics, advocating policies you believe actually will save souls and save the country. But don't lose your anchor in the gospel is about eternity, not about the temporary country you live in. Uh, we're just passing through this place. And too many people do either they've got to save the country to share the gospel or share the gospel to save the country. And neither of those are right. You're sharing the gospel to make believers of all the nations. Well, and I, you know, my assumption is that this comes from the unique founding of America because of the way the Protestants came in and the Puritans and the, and the setting up of these things and these, you know, creating things that are biblical, you know, freedom and liberty. And, and, and it's enriched in that. I guess some people feel like that's being taken away, but 
at some point that means you're just putting your trust in a government or a country and you've really lost, I mean, to, to use your own words, that's really become an idol and it's no longer Jesus Christ that you worship, but it's something that's supposed to uphold him, which again becomes idolatry. It does. And so many people have asked me, please explain what happened. How did we get here? (laughs) And my general explanation to believers is that what you are seeing right now is God smashing people's idols, that there are a lot of Christians. I know them in church. I've been, you know, I I didn't support the president in 2016. I got yelled at by members of my own church. My my wife had a lady come up to her in a Bible study and say she wanted to hit me uh, Mm -hmm. for not supporting him, that that he was going to protect us. And Mm -hmm. I've been telling people right now, so many people instead of leaning on the creator of all things, decided they needed a savior who was a sinner and God gave them four years. And now he's smashing those idols. And if you believe in God, you're going to have to learn to rely on him, not a politician to save you. And it's going to be difficult for some people. And some people may have thought they were in the church and, and they really weren't. And we lose them, but ultimately all things really do work for the good of those called according to his purpose, including this. Amen. Well, thinking forward, as some of this can sound quite doom and gloom, uh, what's sort of our way forward? What's our way out of this? Where do Christians go to keep their eyes set on Christ and focused and not be dismayed at what they're seeing all around them? You know, honestly, I I think, and again, not to be a broken record, but I'm saying this so much actually on radio, my producer suggested I I just put a note on my computer, don't talk about this this week. Um, (laughs) Jeremiah 29, seek the welfare of the city in which you're uh, in exile, pray for it, there you'll find your welfare. There are so many people, probably people listening to this podcast, who know way more about national politics than what's happening in their local school board, city council, or county commission. Uh, There are so many people out there who are Christians who have never stopped to talk to the homeless man who lives under the bridge down the street from them who are fascinated with the politics of Washington. And I really do think that if you're worried about persecution coming in this country, if you're worried about the people who don't understand you and your faith, if you're worried about the direction of this country, you can't change Washington. What you can do is work in your community to improve it. Because there you will really find your welfare and protection. The number of people I know who are involved in local nonprofits who vehemently disagree on politics, but they understand and appreciate each other because they all care about the local issue uh, and they find some common ground there. It really does matter. Knowing the name of your next door neighbor, however far away they live from you, really does matter way more now than ever before. Your Facebook friend is not going to come give you a meal if you're at home sick with COVID and your next door neighbor might leave one on your front porch. Is there any room for common ground moving forward? And I think you're right. And I think uh, something that does get undersold on this is the local church. You know, the local church is where you're having conversations, hopefully with your neighbor who, you know, and you've even pointed out there's people who have disagreements. Um, hopefully they're not uh, volunteering to to punch your husband uh, or anything like that. But, but, you know, that local church where it's gathering under the word of God and being allowing that word to minister to them, to speak to them, it's hopefully breaking down those idols in advance before it's being done in front of your own eyes, you know, on television or whatever. And I think the, the local church uh, doesn't get enough uh, airtime. Yeah, the local church doesn't. And, you know, part of the problem, honestly, with the, the, the great pandemic is 
uh, people don't have to be committed to the local church anymore. My friend Jason Dees, I, I watched his church service on Sunday from here in Macon. He's in Atlanta. Uh, I didn't go to my own church. Now, we haven't. My wife's got lung cancer. We haven't really uh, been in public a lot in, since the, the pandemic started. But there are people who risk losing their local church connection at a time the local church connection is needed more than ever. But I got to tell you, one of my concerns with a lot of local churches, and some people take issue with me for this criticism, but there are a lot of local evangelical Bible-believing Orthodox Christian churches out there who pack up their kids and send them to the beach in Mexico to to build houses for the poor. And there's really nothing wrong with that. Sure. But when's the last time they did it in their backyard? When's the last time yeah. they helped their local community? And, and the mm. church needs to be seen in its local community. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about this with others, but you know, where some of these government institutions have come in to serve the poor, feed the hungry, uh, you know, clothe, shelter. Those were things that the the local church would have done not all that long ago, uh, but they've been supplanted by government institutions. And so then the church is doing what exactly what you're saying. They're right. shipping their kids off to countries that don't have a government that's uh, well supported. And yeah. so we end up missing out on that opportunity locally. We do, and it's true. A lot of people have abdicated responsibility to government to do things churches used to do, and churches can still do them better than the local government. Uh, here in Macon, the local church-run food bank does a lot better than a lot of the local government operations. The homeless shelter run by the Salvation Army does does a whole lot better than than some of the government projects. We had a couple of people in Macon freeze to death, homeless people, a few weeks ago because the government was mm. not running – uh, heated uh, homeless shelters and people were still sleeping on the street when the right. cold front came through. There's still a role in local communities for churches. Sometimes they got to fight for it, yeah. but more often than not, they do better. Let, let me just tell you, there's there's one, I love it. Uh, and, and when the pandemic settles, I hope to go to it. Mm-hmm. There's a, a local pastor in town who every Sunday morning, he and a group of volunteers make pancakes, scrambled eggs and bacon. Uh, they box it all up and they walk through downtown making and every homeless person they see, they give a warm meal to. Wow. And it's just them as a mission in the local community. No government has told them to do it or not do it. They right. just do it. Yeah, it's the, the the local church has a face, right? The government doesn't have right. a face. Or if it has a face, it's a it's the politician in uh, Washington, D.C., as you said. And right. I think it's it, we're, we're losing that human contact, that human connection. Um, certainly the pandemic has uh, exacerbated that, but um, we're prayerful that uh, the church would step up and, and step into those roles. And Christians need to need to hear that challenge and um, go across the street, bring a meal to your neighbor and uh, open that line of dialogue and conversation. Who knows what can happen? Right. It is so critical, I think, for local Christians and local churches to be seen in their community doing good. And I think there is going to come a time in this country, and I think we, we see it in some parts of the country already, where, where people are deeply hostile to people of faith. And those are actually refining moments for the church to be involved in their local community and to do good regardless of, of praise or blame. I'm friends with a pastor out in San Francisco, and San Francisco is increasingly hostile to people of faith and to churches. And his church doesn't care. They are out all the time helping the addicted, helping the homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they're Bible-believing, not a social gospel church, uh, but they believe that the social gospel to some degree has been co-opted by progressive theologians. And there actually is a role for a Bible-believing Orthodox church in a town 
to do those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, I know you, uh, you're a busy man. You've got a, a radio show to produce. And um, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to come and talk with us, Eric Erickson. Thank you so much for being on Candid Conversations. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode. Mm-hmm.